I'm getting it out. Um, one, two, three. <laughs> he just took all that money again. <laughs> I've paid $75 every single time around. Look what I've got in my money. <laughs> That's all I've got. I've got about $45. It's rigged. I'm not kidding. It's not rigged. No, it's not rigged. You say that. It's not rigged. Sometimes you're winning. You just forget the times you've won at Monopoly. <laughs> I've seen David almost weeping. Mum, take your money from him. David, could I your, please have? Before you do that, you're short on cash. Not yet, I'm not no, that short. No, she's not giving you anything. How do I work Mom's it out? It's four times eight. Four eight to... Four eight to 32. Why couldn't I remember that? That's my mother, my little yeah. sister, and me you're listening to. And no, we are not engaged in a rain dance or some form of sacrificial ceremony. Instead, Jennifer is losing soundly at Monopoly, and I am claiming a righteous and satisfying victory. Jen ended up withdrawing in the first few hours, and I bought out Mum during half-hour stints over the next four days. This is why you cry. I don't look ahead and have any expectations. I just roll the dice, and whatever I land on, I land on. Oh, sweet victory. You can't buy it because I already own it. Yeah. Don't count ahead. Don't have dreams that can't come true. Don't have dreams. This game gets me because I have dreams. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 2 as we try and work out exactly what it means to be a mammal. This week, technology. It's all around us and it's not going away. So how do we remain mammals while surrounded by silicon? And what exactly is this stuff doing to our bodies, minds and emotions? We'll also have a chat about board games and how a deck of cards can be the best way to reconnect with your fellow humans. My name is David Barnock Clement. Let me show you how to be a mammal. Sure changes? Yeah, sure. Just give me 140. Don't have drinks. <laughs> Not in Monopoly. Just let, let the universe turn. Oh, it's okay. Could I please have Baltic Avenue? Yeah, it's purple. Monopoly is a Vegemite game. You love it or you hate it. I, for the record, find it an undiminishing source of pure joy, although I have many friends who refuse to touch the thing. Despite the immediate pain that Monopoly tends to induce, the board game, like many of its multicoloured cardboard kin, is the source of cherished memories, from the bent and stained Uno cards on top of the small Travelesque to the crisp, complex, and beautifully crafted boards my housemates cherish, each roll of the dice brings to mind special moments, unique places, and important people. A good game really is special. With each turn, players lean in, some close their eyes. Roars of triumph from the alpha mammal and bitter sighs from the vanquished are drowned out by general laughter. And you know, when I'm really engrossed in these games, I'll regularly pick up my cup of tea or my glass of red, but I don't go anywhere near my computer, the TV, or my mobile phone. It's a tricky thing, technology, and it's changing all the time. It wasn't that long ago when mobile phones had an antenna you had to pull out before making a call, and calling was the only thing you could do with it. Well, not anymore. 
Your phone is now a 2x4 inch backlit portal to your emails, photos and bank and superannuation accounts. It's a camera, calculator, calendar, music maker and notepad. Above all, the advertisements and our gullible selves cry, it's a necessity. Yet it's not all that great for your health, and in more ways than one. Think about all the times you use a phone. Are you walking, jogging or lifting things? Or are you sitting down at your desk, on your bed, the lounge, a chair? Maybe I'm wrong, but it's quite hard to reply to an email while going for a run. So more often than not, using my phone generally means I'm also using Matushi. More screen time also means more exposure to harsh blue lighting when really, my body needs to be getting ready for bed. It's been well documented that the later into the night you use your phone, the less your body wants to sleep. Our physical behaviour, or lack thereof, is therefore affected not just by phones, but all forms of technology. The computer, the tablet, the TV. If it's a flickering screen, it's a problem because it means, by extension, that you are a sedentary mammal. Aha! Uh -huh, I hear you cry. Why then should I be playing cards when that too involves sitting? Well, because technology isn't just giving society an undefined posterior. It's also making us socially awkward, reducing the richness and depth of our relationships, and ultimately undermining one of the joys of being a mammal, having a true connection with other members of our species. You think about it. Whales sing to each other through the depths of the ocean. Cows say good morning to their bovine buddies, and dingoes howl to each other in the night. Humans? Well, we build houses, then close the blinds and type acronyms at each other in an attempt to grow our online list of friends. I mean, look, if we're not careful, we're gonna turn into a bunch of losers. Subconsciously, our bodies know this isn't normal behaviour. It turns out the more we use technology, the more susceptible we are to anxiety, depression and loneliness. At least, that's the findings of Dr. Jean Twenge, a professor of psychology at San Diego State University. In a review published this year in the Journal of Psychiatric Research and Clinical Practice, Dr. Twenge investigated trends in medical health over nearly two decades, from the 2000s right through to the late 2010s in American adolescence. The findings are startling and shocking. After 2010, indicators of poor mental health shoot upwards, a trend that is mirrored in our increasing use of technology and digital media platforms. In other words, Dr. Twenge found there is a positive correlation between using your phone to access your favourite social media site and suffering from things like depression. Specifically, quote, US samples of adolescents and young adults since 2010 have shown declines in happiness, life satisfaction and flourishing and increases in loneliness, anxiety, depressive symptoms, major depressive episodes in the past year and various types of self-harm and suicide. Clearly we have a problem. The misnomer of lemmings throwing themselves off icebergs is just that, a misnomer. We are currently the only mammal that reaches such a state of despair that we can override that itching, pulsing, frantic will to live. Before we continue, I thought I'd jump in here and let you know that if this episode has raised any concerns, 
you can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. That's 13 11 14. It should be said this review was of American adolescents only, and it was a review, so it gathered together the findings of multiple studies and analysed the trends. But there are many similarities between Australia and America, smartphones being one of them, and the review process itself isn't flawed. It just relies on other people's evidence, and unfortunately there is plenty of evidence. And technology isn't necessarily the enemy here anyway. It's pretty useful when you think about it. It's technology that has kept us in contact as we all socially isolate. Because of Zoom, I've become well acquainted with most of my friend's ceilings and the inner workings of their nasal cavity. It's the technological revolution of our transport, manufacturing and research capabilities that will bring an end to the COVID-19 crisis in one way or another. There is a distinct difference, however, between using technology and becoming socially, emotionally, and physically hamstrung by it. And who is more addicted to technology than today's youth? According to most frustrated parents, you can't separate a kid and their phone. It seems a kind of petulant glue keeps them locked together, constantly in the throes of the next TikTok dance or madly arranging Instagram pics by colour, geographical location, and planetary alignment. Oh, the humanity. Oh, the technology might soon be more appropriate. As a relatively recent member of the subspecies known as a teenager, I can confirm that things aren't quite as bad as it can seem. They're not great, though. And while I think I'm pretty cool, you know, I'm down with the kids, I thought I'd check in with someone who is on the front line when it comes to teenagers and tech. I think if I was to make a generalisation, some kids don't really engage with technology, um, but those that do, it can be quite tricky um, to find a balance of when it's useful and when it's a distraction. I know, for example, I'll be sitting in my classroom marking at lunch and there'll be kids lining up because I've got a great windowsill um, to sit up their phones to make TikToks. But in the classroom, um, I like that they can find quick facts if they need to. So I do have a a student in one of my classes that likes to test me constantly. And so they're forever searching random science facts and asking if I know them. And I actually really love that. Um, But then you do have the social media. So I've had the opportunity to be your advisor in my time. Some of the stuff that comes up on social media is really dangerous for young people. And it is a very big distraction to their learning. Um, social skills and content skills that we try and get across at school. So there are Mm. good and bad parts to it. Yes, we are indeed heading back to school. This is Rebecca Knowles, a young, enthusiastic and passionate science teacher from Sydney's southwest. I might grab you there. When you talk about social skills, I grew up in an era where technology was present but not pervasive. And I guess I was perhaps kind of like the first wave of people that started to really have it kind of impact their social life at school. But it never really stopped me from having, I guess, healthy and normal relationships. Is that preventing some students from kind of actually connecting to their fellow peers at school? I think it makes things really unclear sometimes where they stand. Um, You know, so much of how we communicate um, is beyond what's spoken or said. It's in how it's delivered and that doesn't translate very well over um, social media sometimes. Um, And I think they're much more confident in saying things that you wouldn't regularly say to someone. 
and it's just constantly there. There's no break. Socialisation is always available. Um, they find it really difficult to be bored and be distanced from that. Um, so much happens in the space of them putting their phone in the bag for an hour during class and then um, checking it again between classes. So there's that definite fear of missing out of things. So it makes it a lot harder for them to be without that for periods of time. Fear of missing out or FOMO is, for the uninitiated, a real thing and is now invading school hallways, it seems, not just the playground. When I transitioned from class to class, my phone was far from mind. I was predominantly focused on tripping my friends up the stairs or tying their school bag straps to a bin or a pole or something unpleasant. If you had a bit of spare time, you might steal your mate's bag and dim sim it. That is, empty the bag, turn it inside out and then stuff the contents back in. A handy zip tie would secure the bag to the drain pipe near iBlock. This is, of course, all hypothetical, and why the inverted bag tactic was ever named after an Asian delicacy remains a mystery, as apparently do the thought processes of a teenager. But I digress. I already feel really old. They'll say things now and I'm like, what's that? Um, they have like five different apps to do the same thing. That confuses me. Um, but when I was in high school, you know, I got my first phone, I think it was in year eight. Um, and that's only because I caught the bus to school. Um, it had snake on it. I think it was, um, didn't even have a colored screen, no photo taking ability. So it, and it did used to cost me 25 cents for a text message. It, it was very different. Um, then we lived in the days of MSN Messenger. So if mum made a phone call, that's it. Your conversation was over. It, sometimes it is hard to empathise with them. Um, so I don't know that need to be constantly connected. I found out recently that Facebook is for old people. Um, I know. I, I know. Know, that. I I know that. People don't <laughs> use Facebook anymore. Well, not, not the youth, I suppose. I know. I know. <laughs> it's so, crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> So there's been a few reality checks lately about just how different it is. Um, even my siblings, you know, there's only a few years between us, but there's still definitely a, um, a generational gap mm. there sometimes, um, particularly when it comes to technology. If you're feeling chuffed that you're a social media guru, hold that thought. Just because iGen, my generation, is good with sending text messages, it doesn't mean we're technology literate. I find they're very good on platforms that they engage with all the time so like social media they are very creative in how they can use that but as far as it as your basic um, I'm going to say useful but I don't think that's the right word um, technological um, tools go they're still struggling to grasp how to use them effectively for what they might need them for um, so I know in establishing my Google Classroom recently and asking them to download a document, type it in, uh, type in it and then email it back as an attachment, they're still struggling with that. Um, and I think we make the biggest mistake in just making assumptions that because they were born in the generation of technology, they know how to use the technology and that's not necessarily the case. So as a science teacher and with you specialising in biology particularly, when you explain to kids the fact that we're more or less a random assemblage of atoms that have just for some reason decided to come together and create you, is that a concept that people really struggle to grasp? Or is that something that kids kind of accept readily? Absolutely. 
Oh, no, no, there is a struggle, um, particularly when you start cells. So um, cells are introduced in stage four, so that's year seven and eight. Um, in our context, we teach it in year eight. Um, after having done classification, like what is a living thing in year seven, so we build into that. And then you show them a cell and they can't necessarily comprehend that that's in them because they can't see it. I, I do love teaching it. it. Just to sort of see that light bulb moment where they finally get it that that cell that they're looking at that might belong to a particular animal, they also have one. It might look a little bit different, but it's the same. So that's always enjoyable to teach. I do like that. And then even getting into specialised cells. So, you know, we're not even made up of just one type of cell um, and it's a big jigsaw puzzle and they just, they learn body systems in primary school. So they don't think there's much else smaller than like an organ or a body system. It's just that, you know. Um, so that's always fun. I do like teaching that. How funny that we learn all this stuff as a child and yet can't seem to translate and transport this knowledge into our lives as an adult. The older we get, the more we forget the type of stuff that makes us question who and what we are, a mammal composed of cells. I think they definitely struggle with that. Even um, sitting back as an adult who teaches and has an interest in science and um, playground duty is a great example. So watching them interact <laughs> in the playground, imagine. they're not that different. But then when you bring them back in the classroom and try and teach them about animals and um, living organisms, they really, it's a very much us and them kind of way of thinking. We're not that. Um, I don't know if it's almost like an arrogance of being human. Um, I don't know if that's just sort of, you know, where the most evolved is what I normally get, um, which isn't necessarily true. In it's interesting the responses you get when you do try and link back that, no, we, we are animals. And, you know, uh, we were teaching recently um, organ transplants for our Living World topic for Year 8. Um, and we were looking at where we get different organ donations from and we were talking about how they can actually... Um, transplant the heart valves from pigs and you know they were disgusted it was the worst thing you could do why would you put part of a pig in you it's like well actually it's not that different to how a pig's heart works to our heart so and they couldn't even but pig is bacon you know that's one of the comments I got um, so they associated that with a food not necessarily a closely um, related living organism so how are we going to learn to let go of the tech? And I'm telling you, it's urgent. Pre-COVID, it felt like every couple I saw out at dinner together spent more time looking at their phones than at each other. Whatever happened to romance? And what on earth can we do to fix this situation? Well, at the moment, we're in the grips of a pandemic. People are working from home. Plenty of school students are now attending Google Classrooms. This is literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to spend more time with your family. Rather than sitting down on the lounge with a phone, I think you should be sitting down with a board game and a sense of humour. I'm lucky enough to rent a house with board game extremists. Collectively, I call them Lucy House. The name derives from the first street we rented in. Michaela works for the New South Wales government and her partner Jason is wrapping up a PhD in medical radiation physics. 
Jim is completing a master's in conservation biology and grew up putting red bellies in his backpack. And his partner, Claudia, is now becoming a teacher after handing in her honours thesis on the social dynamics of tiny fish in rock pools. They're a pretty cool bunch and have introduced me to more board games than I can count. Given their experience and enthusiasm when it comes to these games, I thought I'd get some advice from them for listeners. Although, just for the record, I will admit my interviewing skills kind of disappeared entirely during this particular Zoom call. Can I hear me now or do I have to... Yeah, no, you're good. Oh, now we can hear you. (laughs) So, what are our favourite board games? In order, we have Claudia, then Michaela, then Jason. Can I answer? Okay. My my favourite board game that we've played together is Catan. Yeah. I like it because it's... um, Like we were saying before, you can play your own game. Like kind of individual there's a little bit of attacking but not so much that it gets overly competitive and it's a it's simple so you can have a chat while you're playing my favorite game is the hat game which isn't oh, yeah. a board game but it's still my favorite can that count i like i i don't know i like the hat game because it's kind of it's fast paced you're, you're talking a lot you're interacting a lot you're in a team so you're kind of working together and trying to um, I like that. I like games where you're playing with other people. It's fun. It gets people together. Like, you know, when you have a, you're at something and it's really awkward and no one knows what to talk about and it's like still yeah. good conversation, then you whip out the hat game and you force people to do something that they really feel uncomfortable doing and it's great. What I like? I like evolution. I like small worlds. I like Catan. Games where you can sort of build your own economy. You've got some interaction with other players, but you can plan a few moves ahead. You can tell that I use the term board game quite liberally. Card games, descriptive games such as Pictionary and Articulate, they all come in under the same umbrella. Even games of dice. And what type of board game is best to start off with or to help ease you back into the groove? I reckon it's got less to do with the length and more to do with the simplicity of the game. I think like engaging in a really complicated, something like evolution. I tried to get my mum to play it. And every round she was like, so what do I do now? Was not a successful (laughs) experience. So yeah, I'd I'd probably say even if it's a really long game, but it's quite simple to understand. And like, you've only got a couple of options. Mm. I think that's probably more key for Mm. a beginner. Yeah, because like Monopoly is long, but it's boring and simple. So it's like that's an easy one to start with. Yeah, because if you've only ever re- like played Monopoly or like Scrabble, mm. your mind would be blown to realise yeah. that there's games like Climate or yeah. Evolution. And what are some of the no-nos, the type of stuff that leads to disaster and broken relationships? Because trust me, the blood runs hot in some of these competitions. So there was one time when Jim, Claudia and I went to visit a friend um up in sydney and they whipped out a board game and put really strict rules in place um so the board game was code names now that's a great board game and i played it since that time and absolutely loved it because it was great but this time when we were there the guy had a timer and he kept like putting the timer on us and putting like heaps of pressure on us and and it was just this really awful pressured situation and it was not fun at all, and none of us liked it. And we left, and then got flat tire. 
and that was a sign of the night. If you missed some of the games that were mentioned, you will find a whole page of my website dedicated to these and many of our other favourite board games. So jump online at howtobeamammal.com to find out more and kickstart your own board game adventure. <laughs> Trust me, it's worth it. So, how to be a mammal. Well, spending a little more time with each other and not our screens is probably a good start. And even as Australia and other nations around the world begin to lift some of their social restrictions, it's probably not a bad idea to still spend the weekend at home with a good board game. And as our wonderful science teacher Rebecca pointed out, remembering we're made of cells is probably not such a bad idea either. I mentioned earlier in this episode that technology has the unfortunate habit of encouraging you to relax your gluteus maximus and slide into your favourite armchair. That's why next episode we are lacing up our shoes and, blinking and squinting, going outside. We'll be talking to the editor of an emerging outdoor adventure publication, going for a short bushwalk through my property, and learning why we really should spend some more quality time with Mother Nature. Don't forget to check out my website at howtobeamammal.com. And if you've enjoyed these episodes or want to hear something in particular, let me know. It would be great to hear from you. Give the podcast a review or just tell your friends about it. Spread the good word. My name is David Barnett-Clement. Thanks for listening.